Welcome to The Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. Last night, just as I was about to settle down to watch the excellent new Australian drama, Glitch, my Twitter was set alight by Marcus Westbury at Renew Australia that the new Grattan Institute report was out called Property Taxes. And I soon realised that the 400th episode birthday present for The Renegade Economist was here. So sit back and enjoy today's geek out on our number one topic here on 3CR. We're with Brendan Mark Coates from the Grattan Institute. He works as the Senior Associate in the Budget Policy Work Program and uh, working alongside John Daly. He's uh, involved in this series of Grattan Institute working papers that looks at the weakening fiscal position Australia finds itself in. And uh, last night they released their property taxes report, which of course to us renegade economists here on 3CR, that is of great interest. So Brendan, uh, welcome to the show. No, thanks very much, Carl. It's good to be here. Excellent. So it's not an easy topic, is it? Uh, how did you feel when you first got into uh, this world of property taxation and uh, it's quite daunting in a way uh, thinking of how it will be implemented politically but you've come up with uh, quite a uh, a politically savvy position. Well Carl I think the first thing that I came across when I started to research into this field was just how actually how under-researched the whole issue is. So the uh the relative merits of land taxes and property taxes are you know, pretty well established in the economic literature. But there wasn't much material out there that was really applied to Australia. And so I think what we've done is tried to put together a report that tries to resolve some of the political challenges that come about in this space, while also do, doing something that's relatively practical to implement and still maintains and most of the economic benefits of land and property taxes in general. And your key finding was that a levy of just $2 for every $1,000 of unimproved land value would raise $7 billion a year. And for those in Sydney on a median price home, that's about $772. Or here in Melbourne, that was $560. So not a huge cost. No, not a huge cost. Just because of the sheer scale of the uh, potential property tax base in Australia, we're talking about... We're talking about a taxable property base of about $8.3 trillion nationally. $4.3 trillion of that is land and $4 trillion is um, improvements, so buildings and other bits and pieces that have been built on land that add value. And so with a really low rate, so a 0.2% levy on the unimproved value of property, so just the land alone raises $7 billion. And if you used a... 0.2% levy on the improved value, so the capital improved value that includes the value of buildings, it would be about $7 billion as well. So no, very small imposts relative to the amount of revenue that you can raise. And what were some of the other political issues you addressed in this property taxes report? Well, Carl, one of the big problems or challenges that comes about with a property tax or a property levy is that it's a generally a pretty unpopular tax compared to the other taxes out there that states and the Commonwealth use. Um, in particular, it's a lot more salient. And by that, I mean that it's quite visible. So every year or every quarter, um, owners of property that are eligible, say, for land tax, that fall under the land tax net that the states currently operate, get a bill that says, this is your land tax for the quarter. You're paying a, a levy of or a tax of you know a couple hundred dollars a quarter, say, out of um, your current budget, but the, the tax is being levied on an asset that, you know, ha, the, that's worth a lot more than that. 
but because it's based out of every quarter and it's coming as an annual as a standalone bill it's much more visible and therefore a lot less popular so there's a lot quite a lot of research out there that suggests that something like a stamp duty which is actually economically a much worse tax that does a lot more to really affect uh, incentives to save and invest and to move house is actually a lot more popular with taxpayers than something like a, a property levy or a property tax. Yes, well, people always celebrate the value of their land going up, but when it comes to contributing a little bit more back to society, there are a uh, a number of questions people have had imposed on their thinking process, and it's that disjoint, isn't it, that uh, if we do receive these these unearned incomes, if you like, uh, through the value of our, our homes, why not share some of it back with the community? Yeah, definitely. There's an element of where you're trying to tax uh, what you would call economic rents, which is unearned income that's not as a result of actions by the um, the taxpayer or the landholder themselves. So a good example of that is a lot of the value or quite a bit of the value, it seems, of uh, improvements or that state governments make to infrastructure or other schools and other bits and pieces is often capitalised into the value of the asset. So that means that if you're in a house that's near quite a good school, you can often see a situation where the house price on one side of a a school catchment zone is quite a bit less than the house price on the other side of that zone. And so one of the things that um, a land tax does or a property tax does is it actually captures some of the value or that return of the public investment that's been made by the government actually recaptures some of that and returns it to the government as well. And I think one of the challenges that we find is that people just don't understand how this tax is good for society. And if you look at this $7 billion you'd be capturing, uh, the value of Australian residential and commercial land increased by $418 billion in 2013-14. And what we're essentially saying is if that you had this $7 billion uh, property levy on the uh, land value alone, uh, the, the property prices would have only increased by $411 billion. So it would have taken away that, that upkick in, in the cost of housing. Yeah, if you do introduce an additional tax on property, say on, on land or on the capital improved value, it is going to be capitalised into property prices. So you will see some marginal fall in the value of property. The important thing that you've picked up on though is that property prices are growing relatively quickly in most places in Australia. So what you're doing is it's not necessarily that you would see a fall in the nominal value, but just that some of these things would grow, the property prices would grow at a slower rate than would otherwise occur. And yeah, you've just zeroed in that it's a tax base that's that's growing very quickly. So we did quite a bit of work in looking at, well, compared to the other state tax bases that are available, what, are the, what's, what does a property tax look like? What does it deliver in terms of revenue growth over time based on historical trends over the last 25 years? And how volatile is that revenue stream compared to the others? And something that we found was that over time, so over the last 25 years, if you look across all states and territories combined, uh, then property taxes, so either a land tax or the property levy that we would look to impose, and taxes on property transactions like stamp duties have tended to grow quite a lot quicker the revenues have grown quicker than most other the other taxes available to the states, and particularly they've grown quite a bit quicker than the GST since it's been introduced. And that's because the GST doesn't capture quite a lot of the, the doesn't capture quite a lot of the areas of consumption that are growing more quickly than average. And so because of that, you sort of if you base a tax or if you increase the tax take from property, you're going to get a revenue stream that's going to grow relatively quickly, and it should keep up 
broadly with the types of spending that state governments are going to try to finance in areas like in health or in education. And importantly, a property levy compared to the existing tax basis that we have of land and stamp duty would probably tend to be less volatile. It would certainly be less volatile than a stamp duty because that depends on both the value of the property that you're transacting, but also the number of transactions. So if you have something like the global financial crisis, you see a fairly big fall off in the, in the total value of property that's being transacted. And so that has a, 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 there's a bigger downswing as a result of say a cyclical swing in, in the property market. And the land tax as well tends to be a little bit more volatile as well because there are all these thresholds and exemptions and progressive rates, which mean that not all land is taxed at the same rate because you have all these carve-outs in the land tax base. Yes, that's an important point to your report that these land tax thresholds start uh, at 25000 in Tasmania and up to 600000 in Queensland, uh, which means that essentially in Queensland, land tax as a housing affordability tool has been wiped out and that's what we see in terms of uh, housing prices. They, they just go up when those land tax thresholds are pulled out. Uh, but I really did like in your report this discussion point about uh, revenue sovereignty per state. And uh, there's a lot of concern with the GST about how that income is redistributed. But you had uh, some interesting takes on how uh, the the revenue um, capture within state would vary less and be redistributed to other states under this system. So, Carl, the way, the way the GST redistribution works is it's essentially trying to make sure that every state has the same average capacity, fiscal capacity, to deliver the average level of services and infrastructure to its community. So what it does is that when you have something like a property tax or a property levy like we propose, that's going to raise more funds, more revenue per head in states like Victoria and New South Wales because we have higher property values overall and you'll raise less money in states like, say, Tasmania or the Northern Territory or South Australia because property values on average there are quite a bit lower per person. And so because we're trying to use this tax or the state governments would be looking to use this levy to help finance some of their additional expenditures, what the GST distribution does via the Commonwealth Grants Commission is it delivers some additional revenues to states like South Australia and Tasmania in the Northern Territory, where it either costs more to deliver a level of services because you've got more remote communities, or you've, you tend to have communities that require more health services or services on average. So for example, South Australia has an older population. Older people tend to use uh, health services more because they have more health, health issues. And so as a result, to make sure that each state has the same ability to, uh, to deliver those services, there's these GST distributions that take place. One, one challenge that that does present is that in some states such as New South Wales and Victoria, you do see that they don't get to keep the, all the revenue that's um, delivered to them via something like a property levy. So it could be, even the case when New South Wales was the only state that delivered or that introduced this, this property levy, then they might see roughly 5% of the revenues being distributed away from them to the other states to equalise those fiscal capacities. And if they all did it together, then states like New South Wales and Victoria might see up to 15% of it uh, of the revenues that they collect being distributed away to other states. And so that is a challenge when you're looking at something like uh, the comments that Joe Hockey made recently, or today, sorry, uh, that 
uh, the state should look to to capture a greater share or collect a greater share of the revenues that they spend. Um, but I don't think it's an insurmountable one. One thing that this levy really does do is it gives the states control over what they're going to spend their money on by giving them control over the revenues that they raise. So if you look at the other options that are on the table, say a increase in the GST or uh, there's been discussions about having the state share some proportion of income tax collections from the Commonwealth. In those cases, the Commonwealth um, retains control and the states essentially don't have control of their own destinies. They're the ones that are going to face a lot of the challenges arising from rising spending pressures on from health, from population ageing and from uh, greater technological innovation in healthcare. And at least this levy or this proposal where they raise more of their taxes via property, via property levy, does a lot more to give them control over how they respond to those challenges. And that's important because so many causes to the the poverty, the health issues, uh, the wealth gap come from the real estate market and by states having a handle on uh, this lever that can either uh, uh, reduce the increase in land values or or even reduce it in total uh, is important because if we can act proactively with our economic system, we can curb some of these problems uh, beginning in the first place. Now, Brendan Coates from the Grattan Institute, could you comment then on how your system would be implemented? Because this is something I've often grappled with. Uh, would we uh, fire up the uh, the original uh, federal taxation a measure of the federal land tax, which was a precursor to the Australian Tax Office? Uh, but you've come up with another system uh, that may well be more uh, suitable. Yeah, Carl, one of the big challenges or issues with the way land taxes are currently collected by the states is that there are these large exemptions that exist where the family home is often is typically exempt. You, there are these thresholds below which people or, or homeowners or property owners in general don't pay um, any land taxes. There's these progressive rates, which means that if you own more property, you you pay it you pay a much larger share of your property value in tax every year, which the big problem with that comes about that it discourages in the rental market large institutional investors getting involved and putting a whole bunch of capital into building uh, rental housing and instead you have most rental housing provided by um, single investors, mums and dads and the like. And the big challenge with that is that they're less likely to be able to offer security of tenure So because their circumstances as an investor might change and then that has flow-on impacts to the renter, whereas you have much larger share of institutional investors in the rental property market and they can deliver better security of tenure. And one of the constraints on that is the way that who is holding investor housing in Australia at present. Now on the question that you that you put to me was about how you would actually implement this levy and how it's different to the current arrangements is we do already have a property tax in Australia that's relatively efficient. It's called council rates. Now there are issues about how, exactly what rates are set and what the tax rate is. But in general, it captures most property that you'd want to capture in a broad-based property tax. It captures the family home. There's not really any thresholds. So you start paying tax from the first dollar of property holdings that you have. There's no progressive rates. And so what this means is it's a much more efficient tax base than the others that are, on, that are available, such as land taxes. And so what we propose doing is adding the property levy, is basically piggybacking off that uh, property rates base. So what you would have is you, at the moment, people 
uh, either receive a bill from the council rates bill from their local council in some states, or it's from the from the uh, state government. That says, okay, this is your property tax liability. They also often pay in a lot of states an emergency services levy. So in Victoria, we have the Victorian Fire Services Property Levy, which basically uh, is an additional levy that helps fund uh, fire protection services and emergency services in Victoria that's based off that, off the council rates base. And what we're proposing is essentially the same thing. You would just have another line on your council rates bill that says this is your uh, broad-based property levy that you'll be charged for this year, and it would be administered via whatever existing arrangements, tax administration arrangements exist in each state, whether it's the local council or the state revenue office that would collect it. And so it would actually be very administratively simple to implement and it would be based on a much broader tax base. And over time, you might even end up in a world where if you put this in place in some states or all states, over time, you could see a situation where you don't necessarily need to keep levying those land taxes on such a, a narrow base. And instead, you could levy a larger property levy and actually get rid of those land taxes altogether. And the stamp duties, that's a big one we've got to get rid of. No, of course. So if you were looking to do one of those two things first, you would certainly look at doing stamp duties. It's no secret, I think, amongst um, economists that stamp duties are not a very good tax. They discourage people from moving house, therefore they affect the mobility they affect mobility, which has flow-on impacts to employment. It's a big lumpy tax, but the trouble is it's a big lumpy tax that you pay when you're already paying for the house. And so it's just one more cost that you're adding on. You're adding a $20,000 stamp duty bill onto a $500,000 house. It doesn't look so bad, but it's such an economically damaging tax. So we actually had some numbers in the paper uh, which suggested if you, if you raised a larger, uh, a, a higher rate property levy, say a level of 0.4% of the unimproved value of land, uh, then you that would be sufficiently high. It would raise roughly $14 billion to pretty much get rid of stamp duties nationwide. And what that would do is it would add a, add a, it would provide a boost to annual GDP of roughly $9 billion. So that's an extra $9 billion of economic activity that you would have take place that doesn't happen at the moment. And that's a big boost to people's incomes. Now, Brendan Coates from the Grattan Institute, I, I do have a, a bit of a query on one of the lines here. You say a levy on unimproved land values would have no impact on rents. For landowner trying to pass on the tax by charging higher rents, some people would decide not to rent, thereby lowering rental demand and causing rents to fall back again. Now, uh, that that's uh, a, a good point, but I'm just wondering that uh, with a $560 property levy here in Melbourne uh, versus the $60,000 a year in capital gains, one of the challenges we foresee is uh, finding the... Uh, the rate in the dollar that will actually influence behaviour because we measure each year the thousands of empty homes. It's usually around about 64,000, 65,000 empty homes and, and land sites uh, within the urban growth boundary. And uh, I'm just wondering how this levy would encourage more competition within the market so that those uh, rents are uh, pushed downwards. Well, Carl, the, the levy itself is really about being the most efficient way to raise government revenues and to then to use those revenues in ways that you know support the well-being of Australians. We say that it, that it won't have any impact on rents um, essentially because it doesn't change behaviour. So the, the issue that comes with the existing land taxes is because unoccupied housing is exempt, if you own your own home and you live in it, you don't pay any of the levy or sorry, any land tax. But if you're a renter, you often do. And what that does is it means that 
because people have an ability to avoid the tax, the land tax, by instead choosing to own their own homes rather than than uh, own a house and, and say rent it out, renters end up paying quite a lot of that land tax. Under our proposal, because it would be broad-based, there wouldn't be an ability for, for landholders, property holders to do that. There's nothing they can do to not pay the tax apart from not own property. So if you're going to own property, you're going to pay the tax and so it's not going to have any impact on your incentives to supply rental housing or to choose to live in it yourself. On the points that you make about um, incentives for investors, it's not the, the property levy itself probably won't do that much to, to, to achieve the goal that you're suggesting. There are some issues in the way that uh, that rental property is currently taxed. You know, we've Grant Institute's been out in the in the press before, suggesting that you might want to look at changing the way negative gearing operates, and also the the interaction of that and the capital gains discount. But that that's a report that we'll probably put out in about a month or slightly longer time, and it's probably beyond the scope of the property levy chapter. Well, that's going to be very interesting to see. Now, um, another issue is the concern over whether one can value prime locations and uh, you raised in the report some concerns that there's is difficulty in separating the land and building valuation when there's not much turnover in real estate but uh, I just ask you know in this day and age uh, there's barely a place where that exists and uh, uh, property valuers have a number of different tools they could use such as the residual building value method where they subtract the depreciated value of the building from the sale price and another one's a hyper Hypothetical development method where they notionally develop uh, a vacant site to its highest and best use, then deduct the cost of buildings and borrowing costs and so forth. So uh, there are ways around that, but uh, you guys have some concerns about uh, that knowledge base? There's a little bit of literature out there that suggests in some countries, in some jurisdictions, there is a move towards valuing property on a capital improved basis and taxing it at that rate. It's really a concern about in inner city locations, so if you're talking about the urban fringe, you, you valuers you know have a range of tools that they can use. But one of the tools that they additional tool they have at their disposal in that case is that they can see what the market transacted value of unimproved land is, because there are actually transactions taking place. So you've got market data that allows you to do that, and you've also, if you're talking about a capital improved. Uh, uh, valuation, you also have rents and you, so you can back out from you know, the rents that people are paying on the actual property that they're living in, say if they're a renter, then you can, say, you can back out roughly what the property is worth. Yep. The issue really comes to a head when you're talking about unimproved land in inner city locations because there's just not that much of it left. So you're not necessarily looking, when you look around as a valuer, there's not many market transactions that take place where you have a clean site near, near or in the CBD with nothing on it that you can then say, okay, well, based on that, that's an additional tool or input I can use into working out what the valuation is. So we suggest that you might want to look at doing it on a capital improved basis. An unimproved basis, a levy on an unimproved basis is more attractive. It has, it's, it's, it is more efficient. There are no, there shouldn't be any behavioral impacts or distortions that arise if it's implemented effectively. But one of the, I think, one of the real insights of the paper is we've kind of been stuck in this trap I think in Australia over the last 15 years where uh, we're only really looking at if we think of a tax on increasing taxes on property we're thinking about taxes on the unimproved value of land and what our research shows is that if you if you tax the improved value so if you include the value of land and of buildings in 
it is a little bit less efficient. That's certainly true. But because of the sheer scale of the property tax base that you're talking about, the impact's actually not all that large. So the example we have is, you know, if you if you're a landlord, you own a property and you want to you want to undertake some capital improvements. So you want to say renovate a kitchen in a rental property that you own, then with the tax rate that we're talking about, you're only talking about adding an extra eight dollars a month to the rent of someone that's going to live in in that property after the fact in order to compensate you for the tax that you're that you're going to pay on those on the value generated by doing the renovations. So the impact at very low rates, the efficiency impacts at very low rates of the tax, which is what we're talking about here, are pretty small. That's a bit of a contentious point, but uh, you know, one of the concerns I have is uh, that having a uh, a capital improved valuation rate at local council level sees that any improvements such as putting solar panels or water tank or renovation means your rates go up. But the inverse of that is that it provides an incentive for what was once the bedrock of affordable housing, those uh, old weatherboard homes, to be demolished and uh, that land to be uh, left idle for the five or seven year investment plan and uh, and then it's sold to the market. And so this enforces sprawl and uh, curtails uh, affordable housing and the supply of rental properties and so forth. So yeah, it'd be interesting to look deeper into that line of thinking, I believe. The, the, the direction of the effects that you talk about is certainly that's in line with economic theory. Um, what we're suggesting is the quantum, the size of the impact, the impact and the dis- of the incentives is so small that, you know, you mentioned earlier on, you know, with all what a, what does what would a tax do the incentives for an in, a, a, a rental property investor? And you know, we mentioned that those perhaps those impacts would be pretty small because just because the tax rates are so low, so you might see a very small impact right at the margin, but it's going to be tiny in the scheme of things. And what it does is if it allows, if this overcomes a hurdle, perceived or otherwise, to actually getting more taxes on property as opposed to less efficient tax bases, that makes a big difference to economic efficiency and the, the quality of the tax mix that we really have in Australia. Mm, I concede that point, but the problem is once we begin with the uh, imperfect application of of this principle of capturing uh, economic rents, then as it does grow, those those pressures are magnified. So uh, yeah, I'm pleased that your primary line in the report is talking about unimproved uh, land values, but uh, just uh, cautioning that the improved property taxation levels. So. Um, yeah, very interesting, Brendan. Uh, anything else you'd like to uh, f- round out the show with? Well, one of the issues that's often raised with something like a property tax or a, a tax on land is that is that it's not necessarily progressive with respect to incomes. Mm. So what you often have is you often have a situation with relatively what you might call income poor but asset rich older households often have an issue where they don't have the ability to finance a recurrent levy or tax, but they do have quite a lot of assets. And so what we're suggesting in the, on this front is an extension of sort of schemes that exist in a couple of states already where you have a – South Australia has a scheme where they postpone rates. And so what we would suggest is if you're in a position, you meet some eligibility criteria where you can't meet the levy each year, instead that just accrues as a debt against your home with a, a stipulation that it can't ever – that it can't ever take up more than a certain proportion of your home – and then when the property is passed on 
um, you know, it's sold or if it's an elderly an elderly property holder, they enter a nursing home or something like that, then you just lay claim to the, the, the compounding debt against the property. And what we've found is that that tends to not, because of the small rates that we're talking about, you know, you're talking about a very small debt accruing against the property. And so it's not really that issue of income poor asset rich households isn't such a problem, we think, with this levy. The reverse mortgage is very good. I also thought it was interesting that exempting owner-occupied housing is very regressive. Uh, For those in the top income quantile, uh, that is almost a a $2,000 benefit, but benefit households in the low income quantile by just $400. So that was a good point. Some of the exemptions that take place under under the the mantra of, of fairness often aren't actually all that fair or all that uh, progressive at the end of the day, and that's a great example of one. All right, Brendan Coates, uh, Senior Associate at the Grattan Institute, thanks very much for joining the Renegade Economist here on our 400th episode. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Carl.